In 2019, the cult went on tour. Titled A Sonic Temple, the tour celebrated the 30th anniversary of 1989's classic Sonic Temple album. Sonic Temple, of course, is considered by many the high watermark of the band's career. Now, according to the wonderful resource at setlist.fm, the tour, which in fact may continue into 2020, I think there's a few dates left and Maybe when the plague is over, they're going to go back and continue to tour it. Anyway, it largely consisted of theater-sized venues. For instance, in the UK, they played mainly on the O2 Academy circuit, while in the United States, it was a mixture of state fairs, casino venues, and other places with the word theater or ballroom in the title. Naturally, the sets were focused on the Sonic Temple album, Almost without fail, the band would play eight songs off of Sonic Temple for each date on the A-Sonic Temple tour. Now, most of the sets are in the 15 to 18 song range. And in addition to the Sonic Temple songs, they would usually play three songs from the Love album. Usually two, but two or three songs from Electric And then a few others, mostly from Beyond Good and Evil, but also occasionally touching on some of their other records. According to Setlist.fm, though, the cult played zero songs on the A Sonic Temple tour from the album they released after Sonic Temple, 1991's Ceremony. Zero songs. Zip. Zilch. Nothing at all. In fact, if you look at the career stats for the cult on Setlist.fm, and you add up all the plays for all the songs off the album Ceremony, those are still less than just the number of cover songs that the cult has played live. Now, the way setlist.fm works is that people go to shows, and then when they get home, they can upload the set list into the database, and it's there for everybody to look at. So for what should be obvious reasons, I think, Setlist.fm is heavily slanted toward concerts from the internet age. Still, it's shocking to me that Ceremony is the album that is least represented in the cult's catalog when they play live. On this episode of Well Disguised, I want to talk about what the heck happened with Ceremony. I want to start out by talking about the premise of the episode. Maybe I've already made that clear, but it's really twofold. One, what happened specifically with the album Ceremony and also, I guess, more broadly with the cult that did not launch that band into the super duper status, the biggest of the biggest stages? And two, is there anything that we can learn from that experience with the cult and Ceremony that perhaps we can extrapolate into other bands, other artists that just don't make it that big. I'm going to go ahead and say right now, having researched and planned this out, 
I think I'm going to fail on at least that part of the podcast. I also feel like I need to put a disclaimer again right here at the beginning. The cult are wildly successful. With songs like She Sells Sanctuary and Firewoman and Love Removal Machine, they've got some evergreen hits that are part of rock's landscape and are still going to be played on rock radio for many years to come. They've sold millions of records. They've toured with all sorts of people. I saw them opening for Guns N' Roses during the Not In This Lifetime tour. That was on the first leg of the tour, so it was a few years ago, and I can't remember where it was. It, it was it's where the Falcons play in Atlanta. I can't remember if that's the Georgia Dome or if they've replaced it with something now that's newer. In any event, whether it's opening for Guns N' Roses and playing to a fifty or 60,000 capacity arena in the process or playing theaters and ballrooms, as I said at the opening, that is not meant as an insult. Playing for a few thousand people at a time is better than 99.9% of all bands that exist today or that have ever existed. So they aren't the Rolling Stones, but who is, right? I mean, most bands aren't around for 35 plus years at all. If they are around for 35 plus years, they're still not playing to two to 4,000 people at a pop. They're probably playing pool halls for their friends or maybe backyard parties. Most bands would dream of being like that ridiculous band Anvil from the movie or Canada or wherever, whatever. You know, Anvil's playing daytime slots and festivals around the world and Europe and that sort of thing. And the cult are still way beyond that. Maybe they're not Bruce Springsteen or Iron Maiden or whatever, but they're still one of the most successful rock acts that you can imagine if you look at rock acts in the aggregate all over the world. But again, coming back to the point of the episode, they're not quite as big as maybe a lot of people thought they should have been or could have been. And Ceremony seems to be the tipping point, the point where things started going downhill from a popularity and a sales perspective. And I want to talk about why that is. I really see that there are two kind of broad categories that go into this discussion. The first are what I'm calling, for lack of a better term, structural reasons or background reasons. Maybe I should just call them non-musical ones because the second aspect of this is the actual sonic qualities of the record. But I'm going to start talking about those non-musical ones first. Now, one reason that's often posited as a reason why Ceremony didn't go huge is that it was launched right into the eye of the grunge storm, if you will. Ceremony was released on September 24th, 1991. That date, of course, is notable because it's exactly one week after perhaps the end of the 80s metal movement because one week before, Guns N' Roses released both Use Your Illusion records. And more to the point, the date that Ceremony was released, September 24th, 1991, just happens to be the exact same day that Nirvana launched Nevermind into record stores, the consciousness of the public, and basically changed the world. Here's the thing, though. I just reject this theory almost out of hand. It maybe makes sense for bands like Warrant or the Bullet Boys, but it just doesn't make sense for the cult. I mean, we can argue whether Guns N' Roses is a hairband or is Def Leppard a hairband or is Whitesnake a hairband. And for all of those, I will concede that there's arguments both pro and con. 
But there's not really a hairband argument for the cult. The cult didn't come with any of that flash and sizzle. They don't seem to be representative in any way of what grunge was rebelling against. Much has been made of the cult's evolution over the years, from when they were the death cult, and it was sort of a punk sound that they had, to their second record, Love, and how that record is more representative of the goth movement. And then, of course, they go from from there to Electric and Sonic Temple, where they seem to be increasingly getting into more pure hard rock. But it wasn't glam at all. I mean, the cult were not a band that were singing about Ferraris and the Sunset Strip and getting wasted on Friday nights. They didn't have Weedley guitar solos either. I mean, if anything, I feel like the cult had a certain seriousness and integrity to them. Seriousness and integrity, and maybe sometimes overly seriousness, is kind of the hallmarks of what grunge was about. For those reasons, I reject the notion that grunge had anything to do with what happened with the cult. Another theory that I don't really buy into is about the album cover. The album cover for Ceremony is a four-year-old boy. I believe he's from the Sioux Nation. He's in a little bit of war paint. I don't know if it was taken out of the powwow or what have you. But the story goes that he saw his image on the record cover and perhaps more pertinent to the conversation, saw his image in the Colts video for the lead single, Wild Hearted Son, in which that same image is set on fire in the video, along with other things that are set on fire. Apparently this terrorized the boy. Part of his religious beliefs are that seeing his image on fire like that is somehow associated with death. Anyway, that's what his parents claimed when they sued the cult, the photographer, the record label, some other individuals and companies involved, for $61 million. I'm not going to get political on this podcast, but $61 million is absolutely outrageous for whatever loss this boy and his family feel like they had here. I mean, people die and don't get $61 million in compensation for negligent acts and that sort of thing. The boy and his family lost the lawsuit. The photographer, when he took the picture, had gotten the boy's parents to sign a waiver. Then the cult purchased the rights to use the picture several years after the fact. In that way, everything about it was legal and above board. Ian Asbury, the lead singer for the cult, has always been interested in Native American culture despite being born in Britain. As someone who talked a lot about Native American issues and that sort of thing, I'm sure this incident troubled him on some level, especially when you consider that so many of the themes of the record are sort of rooted in Native American culture. At the same time, I don't know that you can really ascribe the failure of the album to take off to this lawsuit. Maybe I'm sure it did cause some trepidation at the record company level. Getting sued for $61 million is probably no joke. Maybe that in some way inhibited the record label's willingness to promote the album. But I don't know there's a lot of evidence for that, and I don't really put too much into this as a reason why the album didn't take off. Now, inner band turmoil, tension, whatever you want to call it, there may be something to that as a theory for why Ceremony didn't take off the way maybe everyone involved would have wanted it to. The producer of the record is Richie Zito, and Richie Zito has had some accomplishments for sure in his career. But two albums before on the Electric album, that was produced by Rick Rubin. The preceding album, Sonic Temple, had been produced by the famed Bob Rock. Maybe there was a slight letdown behind the booth. Also, if you watch the video for Wild Hearted Son, 
there is about two, maybe three clips where the camera seems to be focused on the drummer. And other than those two to three clips, which are not close-ups, by the way, the entirety of the video is either on the, the background kind of storyline aspect, limited as it may be, or it's on Ian Asbury as the singer, or Billy Duffy as the guitar player. The cult at this point had basically become a two-person band. Asbury and Duffy wrote all the songs. They were on, I think, about their fifth drummer at this point. Jamie Stewart, the bass player, had left right before they started recording the record. It was really a two-person band at this point. And that leads us into the next part. Asbury and Duffy just weren't getting along. There's an interview of Duffy from this time period I found on YouTube. The interviewer in the clip asked Duffy about the Native American themes that are brought up lyrically on the record. Duffy seems to struggle how to answer going through you know, typical interview speak before finally just saying, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, look, I write the music, he writes the words. So this is an answer, right? This is an answer about a, a band on the decline, a band on the verge of breaking up, maybe. It's the classical reason for bands who are having troubles together. They have, quote, musical differences. But I think we have to be careful because that's almost an answer to a different question. Why did the band break up? Well, it was musical differences, and the band did break up a few years later, at least temporarily. But that's not the question I'm asking. It doesn't explain why the album didn't do well unless the album's weak. And that's the thing. Ceremony's actually pretty good. I suppose I don't know exactly how to define what a good record is, or a very good record, or a great record, or whatever. I know that in my life I've listened to a lot of albums where there weren't any good songs on them at all. Nothing that really caught my ear or made me want to keep listening to it. And there's been plenty where maybe there's one song I've really liked and fixated on. I think we're all that way, right? There's one song on an album and that's what we end up hitting repeat on over and over again. And maybe we go on and discover some more and maybe we don't. I don't know. Ceremony's got three really good songs on it. And that's enough right there to be a quality album from my experience. Wild-Hearted Son, that lead single we talked about, it's a really good tune. And the seventh track on the album, Heart of Soul, is right up there with it. Those songs really, to me, are almost anthems. They could be cult anthems, Ian Asbury anthems. Not only are they among the very best songs that the cult has ever done, these are songs that capture what the cult is that you could see just taking over an arena when they're played live. These are the kind of songs that say, this is what this band is about, and this is what cult fans are about. We are wild-hearted sons, and we've got to bleed a little while we sing. And then there's the title track, which has that Native American influence, not only lyrically, but also musically. It might not be a stadium-rousing, bring-down-the-house type song, but you could see it as an opening to any concert, especially with that idea that sometimes rock concerts are almost like pagan ceremonies in and of themselves. I, certainly some rock stars probably believe that. But even if it couldn't be played live or replicated live in the way that Wild Hearted Son could or that Heart of Soul could, it's still just a tremendous track on the record. It's got a certain majesty of its own that's really appealing. So you got those three songs right off the top. And then maybe depending on your personal preferences or what you're into when it comes to the cult or rock music in general, I suppose I prefer more 
aggressive, upbeat, guitar-type rock songs. The song Full Tilt is the sixth track on the record. It's a monster. It's really the least cult-like, I think. It's more of a aggressive... I don't know if it's... I should Maybe I shouldn't say it's the least cult-like. It's the least ceremony-like, if that makes sense. The eighth track, Bangkok Ring, not only like Full Tilt does it show that not all these songs have necessarily a Native American influence. Can't get a whole lot less Native American, I suppose, than Bangkok. But Bangkok Rang has ripping, roaring, snarling lead guitar from Billy Duffy. That song just smokes. Now, if you like a little more soul in your cult music, I'm not crazy about Indian or Sweet Salvation, the ninth and 10th tracks on the record, but White is really pretty good. Wonderland, the final track on the album, is interesting. The song If totally has a right to exist. Ultimately, though, the point is, we talked about trying to find what the non-musical reasons might be, why Ceremony didn't propel the cult into the biggest of the biggest arenas. It's not the music, though. Okay, maybe it's not as good as Sonic Temple, and maybe you prefer Electric or Love, but Ceremony is hardly a disaster. It doesn't deserve this fate where... Apparently, Asbury and Duffy both dislike it so much. They won't even play songs from it live anymore. Ceremony deserves better than to be this forgotten record. But apparently, that's the way the cult wants it. I don't know. I told you at the outset my premise was going to fail. I wanted to find something universal when I looked into Ceremony. Something that could apply to other bands that were perhaps on the cusp of making it big and just didn't, but it doesn't exist. It doesn't make sense to me. I wanted to end with something pithy like the Cold War band that were about to break big, but what really happened was they broke up. But that's not true. After Ceremony, they recorded their self-titled record, which was allegedly a return to the more Duffy-style rock record, but it did worse than Ceremony did, and Shortly thereafter, they did go their separate ways for a few years before reuniting in 1999. And since then, they've been a touring act, but also recording and continuing to put out new music, which is more than a lot of so-called classic rock acts would do at this point. But it still seems like, to me, Ceremony should have done better, and the cult should have gone bigger. In 1991, Asbury and Duffy looked great. They sounded great. The cult seemed to have an integrity, a gravitas, that so many other bands just didn't have. They should have been able to hold on through grunge and maybe even prosper more than they had before. But it just didn't happen. Maybe the band that the cult reminds me the most of is Cheap Trick. Alright, stay with me for just a moment. I don't mean that they have that power pop sound that Cheap Trick has. But Rick Nielsen, the guitar player for Cheap Trick... Once famously said, Cheap Trick is everyone's fifth favorite band. And maybe that sort of describes the cult too. Their appeal is both really broad, touching on goth and rock and alternative music, but also narrow in some ways. I mean, after all, maybe the answer to my stupid question here is that if you want to go supernova, don't write an album that's heavily influenced by Native American culture. Perhaps that has too limited an appeal. I don't know. I've read that both Duffy and Asbury don't like the record, and maybe that explains why they don't play any of it live anymore. 
But you get the sense that maybe they just didn't go for it. Maybe the idea is simply that Asbury wanted to write songs about what he wanted to write about. And if it didn't have a huge global worldwide appeal, he was okay with it. Maybe the cold are simply not calculating enough to have this big global smash. There is a lyric on the album where Asbury sings, Get to the hip now, baby, before the hip get to you. (laughs) Maybe that's it, really. You're never going to be huge megastars if you give yourself the name The Cult. Thanks for listening to the third episode of Well Disguised. Hope you're enjoying it. If you are, do me that favor that every podcaster asks you for. Subscribe on whatever your podcast player of choice is. A nice five-star rating or a good review or both also goes a long way. It'll help me get the word out because I hope there's people out there that enjoy what I'm doing here. All right. I'll see you in two weeks. If not before, there's a new album that's come out that I don't think I would want to talk about for an entire episode, but I might want to do like a mini review thing on it. Haven't 100% decided yet, but in any event, I'll be back in two weeks. Thanks and see you then.